0: You're listening to Campus Review Radio. The National Innovation and Science Agenda, announced last December, also included many noble aspirations. With a new Cabinet Committee for Science and Innovation to be chaired by the Prime Minister, more than a billion dollars in new funding for science education, for programs to promote gender equality in science and industry. And significant funding for research translation and commercialization programs. Of great interest to many in our sector, the package also included a commitment of a billion dollars, one and a half billion dollars over 10 years to support the National Collaborative Infrastructure Strategy. NCRIS and $520 million in new funding for the Australian synchrotron. Given that just nine months previously the future of the NCRIS program had been engraved out, the announcement was welcomed particularly by the 35,000 Australian and international researchers who use these facilities and the 1,700 highly trained staff who support them. So after significant ups and downs, 2015 had ended on a high for scientists in the country. However, less than two months later, some of this optimism was turned on its head when the CSIRO announced planned cuts to its oceans and atmosphere and lands and water divisions, as well as others, and that was an announcement that reverberated in the media throughout Australia and the world. On behalf of the Academy, I expressed great disappointment in the decision that appeared to have been taken, and while recognising that this was not a political decision, I did call on government to ensure that Australia retained its excellence in and essential capabilities in research in climate and environmental science to meet national and international needs and I shall return to this topic later on. I took the opportunity to express to the Minister for Environment, the Honourable Greg Hunt, the view that Australia is literally the custodian of the Southern Hemisphere in the body of climate knowledge it generates, and was heartened by his genuine willingness to listen. I'm hopeful that the ongoing efforts of the Academy and others will lead to an acceptable solution. Two to three months later, we're approaching a federal election, in which for the first time in recent memory, it seems that science is on the political agenda of both major parties. And you will see one of the parties, the Greens, has announced a very ambitious science agenda in this morning's press. With the election in mind, the Academy has launched its statement entitled Science Priorities for an Innovative Australia. and This brochure will be available out in the Jager Room when you go for the tea or coffee break. And you can find the full details on the Academy's website. In this statement, The Academy argues that science is the engine room of innovation and that Australia's economic and social prosperity depend above all else on improving achievements through science, technology, engineering and mathematics, STEM and through STEM education. We propose that a long-term vision and stable funding for science is needed to ensure the following things. That all Australians have the understanding and skills to use and apply STEM in their lives and careers that the most intellectually and experimentally able scientists are empowered to solve Australia's current and future challenges, and that Australia has a strong, secure and globally connected research capability. Within these three overarching priorities, there's a need for continued support for evidence-based science and maths education programs, relevant work placement opportunities for university and higher education students in STEM disciplines, equal opportunities for people of all genders and backgrounds to study and achieve a successful career in science stability in research funding supported for indirect supported by indirect costs full indirect costs of research and an increased investment in the basic and translational research supported by for example ARC and NHMRC and continued support for public good research in areas of pressing national importance, such as climate change and the environment. The policy statement also recognises the need for targeted support to industry, to enable industry and academic researchers to engage more effectively. And we stress that innovation will quickly falter if support for the basic science that drive it is neglected or withheld. And finally, it recognises that within the context of the national innovation and science agenda, Some of this work is already well underway. Under the leadership of the Chair, Bill Ferris, Innovation and Science Australia has commenced an audit of Australian innovation and of science and the research system that will inform the development of what is already being referred to as the 2030 strategic plan for science and innovation in Australia. And we appreciate that political leaders of all persuasions have shown their commitment to long-term planning and a continued focus on science in public debate. I'll now turn to the achievements of the Academy in the past year. It's been a very active year and we've embarked on new projects and sought and found and taken up diverse opportunities. Among these is a new national education programme called RESOLVE, Mathematics by Inquiry. RESOLVE is a bold new programme funded by government that aims to promote innovative mathematics teaching in Australian schools. The Academy is operating this program in association with the Australian Association of Mathematics Teachers. It's well underway, it's a timely initiative, given the recent analysis and results announcing Australia's declining mathematics performance in maths and other subjects in comparison with standards in other countries, the so-called PISA tests. We have sustained our commitments in growing and developing our primary school program, Primary Connections, with new course modules and development opportunities for pre-service and working teachers. Thanks to philanthropic support, this year for the first time we've also been able to offer professional development to teachers from remote and disadvantaged schools. The past year we've also proudly completed all the modules for our secondary school education program, Science by Doing, the online program whose numbers of users has grown exponentially and I was hearing from members of the team yesterday that they're in the stage of refining some of the modules uh, as they've been tested in, in, in the real environment. Our other new program, a joint initiative with the Academy of Technology and Engineering, ATSI, is the Science in Australia Gender Equity, SAGE an initiative that has been established to improve gender equality in Australian universities and other research institutions. It's doing so by piloting the Athena Swan Charter in 32 Australian universities, medical research institutes and other publicly funded research organisations with an intention of expanding the programme to accommodate all Australian research organisations over the coming years and there's a call for a further 8 participants it's about to go out. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the Athena Swan Charter, this is a program that was developed in the UK about 10 years ago. It's been operating there very well. It offers research institutions and individual departments the opportunity to apply for accreditation for bronze, silver, or gold. And each move up from those levels is based on improvement on the previous achievements and the aim is to encourage and recognize commitments in advancing the careers of women in science in technology, engineering, maths and medicine S-T-E-M-M and also employment for these people in higher education and research. The SAGE pilot was launched in Parliament House in September last year just after we'd formalised the partnership with ATSI. And I'd like to express my thanks to our new chief scientist and the former president of ATSI, Dr. Alan Finkel, for his support in helping to instigate and finalise this partnership. The launch was fantastic. We had a huge number of parliamentarians and other interested people there. It was one of our best launches ever. I'm also delighted that the SAGE initiative was given a significant boost from government with funding under the National Innovation and Science Agenda. To support expansion of the programme in a shorter time than would otherwise have been possible. The programme is in the process of engaging with those 32 institutions who have been signed up and plans are in hand to strengthen the administration with the appointment of an executive officer. And it's interesting that it is being mentioned frequently by politicians here in Canberra. This year, by rotation, I am serving as President of the Australian Council of Learned Academies. This organization was established after a review of what was previously called the National Academies Forum a few years ago. And it was established to uh, work more effectively together. And it received its greatest boost about four years ago when the chief scientist Professor Ian Chubb arranged funding of $10 million to enable the four learned academies jointly to develop policy and foresight documents on multi- and transdisciplinary topics of interest to government under the collective title Securing Australia's Future, and previous president, Professor Suzanne Corey, led the establishment of that process. We're coming to the end of that programme, and uh, it was modelled on the long-standing operations of the US National Research Council, which is the research arm of the U.S. National Academies of Science, Engineering and Medicine. And the idea is that we develop scientific reports for government and other end users on matters of public policy. Some 13 reports have been produced by ECOLA, and we're now planning how that organization will move forward to deal with the next opportunities. And our plan is to have an ongoing program where we aim to commission at least three of those kinds of projects a year, which will be pretty much a 12-month project providing information to defined end-user or government or other parts of civil society. And a real feature of the Securing Australia's Future reports has been the transdisciplinary nature of the work. Engaging fellows from all four learned academies who can provide expert views on particular topics drawing on the knowledge of the experts and, where appropriate, using commissioned research to provide a collective body of information which is used and analysed in the report. These models work well. The Academy of Science prepared a substantial report on technology and Australia's future, chaired by Professor Bob Williamson of Data61 and the ANU and Professor Rob Evans from the University of Melbourne. It was launched last year in September. Uh, It raised powerful arguments about the importance of technology in driving new jobs and growth. These words sound familiar? This theme will continue as we inform government and society on the developing of the national innovation and science agenda. Another Securing Australia's Future report, uh, just launched, is entitled Skills and Capabilities for Australian Enterprise Innovation. It's highly relevant in recognising the features that can be identified with successful companies in a modern, innovative society. And lastly, a review of Australia's research training system has just been released, commissioned by the Department of Education and Training, and jointly managed by this academy and the Academy of Technology and Engineering. And that has much to say about the need to align research training more effectively with industrial research needs. And finally, as we come to the conclusion of the SAF program, these projects are going to be drawn together in a synthesis book, a synthesis volume that will cluster various projects and try to draw out some of the common threads. The summaries of these projects have already been written and they'll, they'll be published in an attractive brochure form, one brochure for each project, which will be available in another way to distribute to interested parties, and more likely the kinds of things that will attract the instant attention of those who are busy people. And I think there's going to be a really attractive thing to have in our academy, uh, for example, in the entrance to Ian Potter House. So these reports should be launched pretty quickly, but in the meantime, I encourage you... To the, the reports have already been published, but the summary reports will be out quite soon. I encourage you to go to the website and look up the ECOLA website under Securing Australia's Future. There's a really good read there, some very interesting policy documents. And one of the reasons that I'm mentioning this in such detail is that an external report that was commissioned of the Securing Australia's Future program noted that we, the members of the Learned Academies, had not promoted their implementation and output effectively enough with our own fellows. So I take this opportunity to encourage you to to promote them, and read them, and make use of them. We note with some satisfaction on the international front that the introduction of funding for multinational, international scientific collaborations has been provided under the recently announced National Innovation and Science Agenda, and that the Academy will play a significant part, as it always has, in assisting with the administration of these programs. And I welcome, particularly, a group of six Brazilian PhD students who've been in Australia for the last few weeks. They're here today with us in Canberra, under the auspices of the Academy, to undertake research projects with a number of Australian host institutions. And you'll have the opportunity of meeting them later today in the informal breakout sessions and later on at the uh, early and mid-career workshops and at the dinner tonight. Now, returning to that earlier theme, as I noted earlier, a particularly widely debated topic has been the decision of CSIRO to reduce its activities in the area of climate science and environmental research. Many fellows have been keen to see the Academy take strong action on this decision. While I expressed great disappointment in the decisions that appear to have been taken, I do not believe it is appropriate to take to CSIRO how their operations are prioritised. I am reminded of some wise words that have stayed with me, and you may have heard them yourself. If you have to shout at them, you've lost the battle. I took the view that what really matters is that Australia can continue to deliver the basic scientific knowledge to understand, mitigate, and accommodate the effects of the changing climate imposed by the anthropogenic carbon dioxide emissions. Last year, I was privileged to attend a conference held in Hobart, CSIRO Greenhouse 2015. Atmosphere, Oceans and Science. And I was most impressed with the high quality of the science that was presented at that meeting. Atmospheric Physics and Chemistry, Ecology, Oceanography, Glaciology. Antarctic research and social science around those themes. And that's our science. We own it, and it's superb. It's a jewel in the crown of Australia's knowledge base, and it should stay that way. The generation of excellent knowledge must be sustained and nurtured. I learnt, as I mentioned already, that Australia is literally the custodian of the Southern Hemisphere and the Southern Ocean. There are no other advanced nations delivering the quality of science at the level we're delivering it in this region, (coughs) at the level and quantity that we're delivering excuse me, in this region. And that body of knowledge that's generated and the discharge of our international obligations are hugely important. The proper role is to work constructively with government and civil society to identify our needs and capabilities and to propose effective approaches to generate solutions to these requirements. It's with this in mind that I propose to Minister Hunt and the Chief Scientist that the Australian Academy of Science would conduct an assessment and review of needs and capabilities in the area of climate science. The Minister and Department of Environment welcomed this offer. The review will be headed by Professor Trevor McDougall. It will determine which of Australia's current climate science capabilities are critical to the national interest and explore the capabilities that will need to be maintained or developed into the future. Between them, the members of the committee have expertise from the Bureau of Meteorology, from CSIRO, from international research hubs, including the Hadley Centre in the UK and the National Centre for Atmospheric Research in the USA, Victorian Centre for Climate Adaptation Research and considerable expertise, of course, from our universities in this area. However, I do understand that the needs are much broader and that an assessment of scientific knowledge and the provision of scientific advice in Australia, by Australians, for Australia is essential. This knowledge and advice must take into account the harsh and arid environment of our continent in these areas of ecology, evolution and sustainability. It's with this in mind that I'm hoping that the Australian Council of Learning Academies will be invited to provide a comprehensive deep dive and uh, assessment of the issues needed to deliver the appropriate knowledge and scientific capability in the area of the science and research priority entitled environmental change. In the meantime, I continue to maintain a dialogue with the chief scientist, and with CSIRO on these important matters. Much of the debate about the need for research into the area of climate science and the environment falls under the general subject of science for the public good. In a number of conversations with fellows over these last few months who are concerned about this aspect of the nation's science base, I consider that it would be timely to propose that a national debate be held on this topic. I started to do some reading for myself in the area, and I came across a publication by the US National Academies press publication is called The Role of Scientific and Technical Data and Information in the Public Domain. And as a proceedings of symposium that was published in 2003. And the chapter that attracted my attention was entitled Scientific Knowledge as a Global Public Good. Contributions to Innovation and the... The, aug- the authors of this chapter argued that the notion of the public goods is not new. Although actually it has less often, until more recent times, been applied strongly to the concept of the natural sciences. Now, traditionally, the acquisition of basic scientific knowledge has been the preserve of the public sector, whereas the private sector has been more associated with applied research. And we can all think of modern examples of those two applications. Knowledge for the public good in the area, for example, of high-energy physics or cosmology, as well as understanding control of diseases. Whereas an important applied focus of the public sector has been the improvement of agricultural production. And it's against this background that CSIR, later CSIRO, was founded in 1926, initially as the Advisory Council for Science and Industry in 1916. Now, I should declare that I worked for CSIRO. I'm no longer an employee of CSIRO, but I do declare that I had an interest in employment at CSIRO. Much of the scientific and technological advances in developed countries has been accelerated by military needs, particularly in wartime. This just emphasizes the interpretation of the words public good is still strongly influenced by society in general and by the end users. The use of DDT as an insecticide to kill mosquitoes is an example of controlling the spread of malaria. Another example of the ambiguity of the interpretation of what constitutes the public good. And then alongside this sits since, since the notion and concept of protection of intellectual property. That's probably aimed directly at national benefits and of course also protecting in the private sector Uh, providing an incentive for individuals and protecting entities, whether they be private or public. The age of industrial enlightenment, followed by the huge advances in our scientific and technical knowledge in the period from the mid-19th to the mid-20th century, afforded the opportunity to harness the knowledge in effective ways through the formation of national and private labs. And it was only during this period that the collective ability and techniques to acquire knowledge and harness it for economic gain became a compelling necessity the justification of the added economic benefit to our nation's economy through worldwide investment in the physical, biological and mathematical sciences has been convincingly demonstrated in the Academy's recent publication The Importance of Advanced Physical, Mathematical and Biological Sciences to the Australian Economy. Uh, That is on the web, published, it's a good read, and it was funded through an initiative initially by Hans Bako, and working with the Office of the Chief Scientist and the Centre for International Economics, we showed in this report that global advances in basic physical, mathematical and biological sciences over the past 30 years directly and indirectly underpin one quarter of Australia's economic output. It's clear that public investment in our national science laboratories is valuable to the economy. But we know that it's also extremely valuable for the acquisition of new knowledge, surely one of the most important activities of a civilized country. I now turn to my final task today, which is to recognize the enormous strides that the Academy has made over the last eight years under the leadership of our chief executive, Dr. Sue Me. I'm very sad that Sue has decided to step down. I'm constantly reminded of how much she has done in the time she's been Chief Executive in initiating new needs or responding to new needs and making developing new initiatives and there are things that we're going to have to work out how to sustain in her absence we'll have to learn to soldier on until we appoint her successor a task that is well in hand. Sue, may I publicly thank you on behalf of all of us here for everything you've done for the Academy. Your dedication in getting everything working properly your attention to the detail and your personal investment are known to the fellows here indeed well beyond the walls of this shine dome wish you much happiness and fulfillment in the next phase of your career